Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts, and architecture since 1987. Bringing the coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. Community Radio WERU is powered by over 200 dedicated volunteers working to keep the station going strong on the air and behind the scenes. We're always looking for more volunteer help, and if you might be interested, you can learn about volunteer opportunities by attending WERU New Volunteer Orientation, coming up next on Saturday morning, April 25th at 10, or Wednesday evening, April 29th at 6. Anyone interested in community radio is invited to attend one of these sessions, after which you are eligible for training to become a WERU programmer, producer, or reporter. So come on down to WERU New Volunteer Orientation right here at our studios on Route 1 in East Orland between Bucksport and Ellsworth, Saturday morning, April 25th at 10, or Wednesday evening, April 29th at 6. If you'd like more information and to reserve your spot, call 469-6600 and ask for Chris Stark, Office and Volunteer Coordinator. This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. That's Schooner Fair right there, piping in Boat Talk, the call-in radio show here on WERU-FM Blue Hill. For people contemplating things naval, with your co-hosts Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, it's a uh, radio show that most anything that on the water will fit in into this discussion. And I'd like to send out a uh, shout of thanks to all the people who showed up last Wednesday to see a boat on a show, a movie on main boat building called Art and Soul. It was down at the Grand in Ellsworth. And uh, we've met a whole bunch of uh, people who uh, listen to Boat Talk here in the area there at that show and almost exactly to a person, every single person who uh, we talked to about Boat Talk said, uh, you know, you could really use some better looking anchors. Now, that's not true. Bob Bob Williams from down to uh, Stonington, he said he was surprised how good-looking we were. <laughs> but I pointed out to him how better-looking we are on the radio. Yeah, we, yeah, face made for radio as it goes. So anyway, about 300 people came out to see that. 450. Uh, wow. I got the official count. Well, it's 451, but yes. Yeah, came to see this uh, main belt boats uh, uh, produced by Gary Jobson, the uh, America's Cup sailor, fairly uh, famous sailing fellow who we interviewed afterwards, uh, and we'll have that, uh, you know, at another time. Talk to Gary for a little while. Nice and, guy. Uh, good, nice good guy. Yeah. Great interview. You say, Gary, what are, give, name two of your favorite secret cruising places in the state of Maine, and he'll give you 20. So he's, <laughs> he was a good, uh, we'll have that chat at a later date. This morning, though, we want to talk about, um, uh, after we do the news uh, from the waterfront here, talk about... Uh, you know, some port policies, port issues about uh, water transportation uh, stuff. And we will have Bob Lehman from the Port of Portland on the phone a little bit. Um, and we have with us this morning in person from eSport, the director of the Port of eSport, Chris Gardner, is with us. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks uh, for having us here today. Appreciate yeah, and? That. And even better than that. <laughs> yeah, way better than that. Our old friend uh, Captain Giffy Full is back. For, Giffy's back. Yeah. The uh, senior member of the Boat Talk. Uh, crew here, the one that uh, has most of the knowledge and makes the, us the look good. The color commentator. So. Yeah. Good morning, Giffy. How are good you? Good morning to you, and thank you. How'd your winter go? Just finest kind. Same complaint as last year. Can't find any pretty boats down in Florida to look you at. You got can it. You? you hit the nail right on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they showed, uh, they were talking about how uh, boat repos are really going through the roof, and uh, in Florida particularly, 
They repossessed, repossessed Bernie Madoff's boat last weekend, showed a picture of that, and I don't think he would have liked it anyway. So, Any chance to put a scallop drag on the back of that? Or? I'm sure you could attach one, yeah. but the boys would probably give you a hard time if you brought it, you know, brought he's, it down local. He's you know already dragging down the economy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's another uh, story I got from uh, our own friend Joan Fetterman, which is uh, uh, some states, Florida, South Carolina, come to mind uh, immediately are having problems with uh, boats as litter. People are abandoning their boats that they can't make the payments on. and just That's uh, been going on for a while, and yeah. it's gone on in California, too. Yeah. Uh, a couple hundred of them just sitting around in Florida and or uh, South Carolina. Does, and uh, Does that make them junks? Junks. Alan is the punny one, of course, here on no, Boat Talk. No, they can't so. pay their slip fees, so they just take the boat out and anchor it somewhere and forget it. There's one guy who um, drilled a two-inch hole in his sailboat and sunk it, but it worked against him because they raised the boat because of pollution concerns, found the two-inch hole saw cut, and uh, how stupid was he? He didn't have to drill a hole. The boat's full of holes. He just had to open one up. You yeah. Know? Can you imagine the uh, what physically happens when you drill a two-inch hole below the water line with a hole? <laughs> it's surprising how fast that water will come in there if you've never experienced it. You don't. You don't want to be on the wrong end of that. So, hopefully, it was a battery drill. So, no yeah. electricity uh, issues. Anyway, we are doing boat talk this morning. The phone number. We you know pretty much interrupt ourselves when you call. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Here's another uh, uh, note we got to talk about a uh, boat talk uh, former guest, Paul Molino. He's a fisherman and author. He also won a Guggenheim Fellowship. He uh, uh, is most knowledgeable aquaculture. Yeah, he was on boat talk uh, about three years ago too. Is that yeah, something like that? Yeah. Who knows? All blur. Mm. Paul is having a uh, uh, book signing and discussion in Searsport at the Marine Museum. April 30th, 7 to 8.30 p.m., and uh, that's at the Union Hall in Searsport. Uh, real solutions for real problems facing fishing people and communities is what we're going to talk about. Um, information on that, give them uh, the Searsport Marine Museum a call, 548-2529. That would be an important discussion. Yeah, and speaking of uh, former guests on Boat Talk, here's another one, Dick Baldwin. Dick uh, is down the Belfast area, and Dick made up some little four-foot sailboats that are uh, nicely ballasted. They're unsinkable. Uh, yes. And he had the uh, Maine Maritime schooner Bowden release two of them off of Newfoundland last summer on their cruise. And he's going to do the same thing this year with, like, six more. Uh, the Maine Maritime ship will be going to the Azores, the Yucatan Peninsula, um, you know, up and down the uh, Gulf Stream and stuff. So we're going to release some more of these, and they can be tracked by computer and we find out where they went. Now, we had Dick on, and we monitored these boats, and they seemed to just hang off the end of Newfoundland. And it turns out that both of them went ashore in Newfoundland. One of the boats was found by a fisherman, and it's in his barn. And uh, it was at sea for 17 days. It covered almost 2,000 miles, but it never went more than 60 miles from Newfoundland. Well, it liked it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't blame him. <laughs> Yeah, and who knows? Uh, like say, how those things will uh, um, you know get when they get in currents and wind. Dick Baldwin, you can check this out on the web, educationalpassages.com, and we will no doubt talk to Dick at a later date. Kind of like a seagoing version of Where's George? Yeah, yeah. and it's an interesting. Um, it's kind of an interesting physics experiment, you know. We got to blow our own horn, too. Last year, we did the uh, first annual uh, Boat Talk semi-dinner cruise. Right, yes. Fun time it was, too. We had Oh, sold the boat out. Everybody had a great time. Yep. yep. And uh, so the uh, boat, the Sea Princess, has got a hold of us, and they have offered to be the official mothership for the <laughs> Boat Talk annual semi-dinner cruise. And... Uh, uh, pending, uh, you know, signing off by some committee here, uh, we can say at this point that it will be at the end of June. There's a weekend at the end of June, and that's what we're talking about. Um, you want to start paying attention to that pretty early. It was a good time last year, and the boat was full. Yes, it filled up quite quickly. And yeah. You know, we, uh, I think my favorite passenger was the youngest passenger, too. I can't remember his name right now, but about halfway through the cruise, he came running up, and he said to me, 
tell the driver to go faster. Yeah. <laughs> we um, had a little potluck thing. It's a uh, cruise out of Northeast Harbor. It's uh, There's a naturalist on board. You see the biggest osprey nest in the world out to Sutton's Island, that among is other stuff. amazing, and yes. It I is. Can, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hope it's still there. And, uh, again, that will be the last weekend in June on the Sea Princess out of Northeast Harbor. Stay tuned for more information on that. But uh, you really... Shouldn't be missing the boat talk semi annual annual semi dinner cruise. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah that's what we call it. You going to make quiche again this year? I don't know. I was trying to remember what it was such a success last year, and yeah, I should should repeat it. Uh, it was good. Good excuse or trick is one that keeps working. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, where are we now? Let's see. We done that and that and that. Uh, the Coast Guard commandant went and visited uh, Bath Ironworks just recently, and Bath Ironworks just got contract. To build uh, three destroyers, which are the new, I uh, forget what they're called. I uh, don't have the thing in front of me, but they're the futuristic destroyers. Um, the they don't boat. even really look like a real Navy boat. They look like a spaceship. Um, these are uh, have been cut back. They're assessing their needs, and uh, the Navy's not sure what they're actually going to do with this boat uh, compared to their current mission. And Bath Ironworks is a little concerned because in the past they would design a boat and then they got to make a bunch of them. And on the um, Arleigh Burke destroyers that they've just finished up with, Bath Ironworks was able to take a million man hours off of the job with experience and become basically the best yard in the country for building those things. There are 5,700 people that work at Bath Ironworks. And, uh, you know, so the uh, Coast Guard has a program, the Deep Water Program, which uh, we talked about uh, two months ago on Boat Talk. It's been horribly mismanaged. This came after 9-11 and the big ramping up with Homeland Security. The Coast Guard choked on the money, basically. They do not have the, um, they do not have the expertise to acquire these things through government programs. And the commandant who visited Bath Ironworks the other day, it says here, that he also serves as the chief acquisition officer of the Coast Guard. And they had a thing with uh, Northrop Grumman and, uh, oh, I'll find the other one in a minute, but um, they basically outsourced it to two private corporations, and they blew it, and they wasted all the money. They did not come up with a, a yet a good boat design for the big um, cutters that they're talking about. And the big scandal was they took, um, I believe it was... Uh, it was double figures anyway, maybe uh, 12, 14, I believe it was, 111-foot uh, Coast Guard patrol boats. They cut the ends of them off, and they stretched them, made them 123 feet, and crammed in a lot of electronics they, they and were, stuff. They were flexible as a worm. Yeah, and they broke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At least one of them broke off of Alaska, undergoing a search and rescue, uh, had to abandon it. Um, they also falsified some of the tests. Um, the companies who were overseeing the... Uh, um, project are actually fitting the boats out with their gear and a lot of it wasn't set to go so they used like army walkie talkies and cell phones to kind of uh, get around some of the tests there which you know like I say uh, the Coast Guard was not really good at, at uh, deciding how to spend the money and it remains to be seen whether you know Bath Ironworks can build them a boat or two the Commandant was scheduled to come to Eastport uh, as part of that trip but wasn't able to make it yeah. Weather concerns, I guess. Uh, they were talking about the uh, cloud ceiling, and they couldn't fly in. So we were on, you know, we're upset that he couldn't make it, but we certainly understand, and we hope that Senator Collins can uh, uh, bring him back and, and have that visit to Eastport because I think there's a lot of issues going on up there that the Coast Guard certainly uh, is involved in at this time. Boy, we'll get to some of them. We're going to be talking <laughs> about, uh, like, say, port policy down there and, and uh, how the Canadians are because you share international waters, which is a, a big concern. We kind of got to talk about pirates, don't we? Pittsburgh or? No, I'm thinking the Somali pirates. I don't know. I don't know they're winning loss. Uh, well, actually, they're winning more than they're losing. They lost a big one the other day, though. Yeah. Yes, they did, but then they're back in the game this morning. They hijacked three ships overnight, um, you know, not deterred at all. Um, as somebody said, the, um, the, problem, uh, the problem is at sea, but the root causes are on land. Those Somali guys, they got nothing. Um, you know, they're fishermen without any fish to catch. They're living in a country with uh, no visible means of support, and... You know, so I guess they're doing what we what they can. Well, they've done that to themselves, and 
and you can't have this lawlessness on the sea like that. And there's, they're going to have to put a stop to it, pure and simple. Giffy, a few years back, you, you surveyed uh, the USS Constitution, didn't you, old Ironside, see if she could sail? That's correct, yeah. Why can't we just untie her, <laughs> sail her over there, give them a few broadsides, we sail through our smoke of our, of our cannons, and, and we hang some of them, you know, like the old well, days. It's, it's a pretty serious situation, and I think there's uh, ways to deal with it, but you have to have the courage to do it, you know, and... Yeah, I, I agree with you, Giffy, because I think if we let it go too much longer, yeah, they're yeah. going to start attacking tankers with RPGs, and yeah. things will get really out of hand. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing that I think is a little underappreciated. Um, they've been um, they've they've made like a hundred million dollars of ransom so far this year. I forget how many ships it is, but it's more than a couple. This is the first American vessel they've taken, and which caused quite a bit more attention with us. Now, let's think about it. How many American vessels are going back and forth in those waters? Um, the answer is there aren't hardly any. Um, not, not many. Not many. No, uh, we do not, strictly speaking, have a foreign-going American flag uh, merchant marine. Our merchant well, marine. There's some, some. I, be, I believe there's some, some small amount of tankers uh, going. But I don't know that for sure. We do have uh, some uh, a presence in the Gulf as well that are yeah. connected to our uh, operations over there. There are some merchant marine vessels. Well, uh, the yeah, young lady that works in yeah. my office, her uh, her husband is actually uh, uh, working on vessels that uh, traverse that yeah. part of the earth, so to speak. So there are some. They yeah. are out there. But yeah, military you're right. transport ships. Uh, yeah, well, but is, there are some. There are some more uh, civilian components that are in a support right. role, but yeah. uh, they are over there. Yeah, but as far as uh, commercial going, uh, U.S. flagged uh, international ships, uh, you know, sadly, the that's not really what we do nowadays. No, there are more flags of convenience. Now let's think about that. They Jones claim, Act. they claim Jones Act is um, uh, stipulates that cargoes being moved between American ports have to go on American boats. Yeah. Absolutely. So one, anyway, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have a phone call. Let's go. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning. This is Will in Camden. Hi, Will. Uh, just a couple of thoughts, not advocating either of them, but um, one, it, dealing with the pirates uh, from the ship owners and insurance companies' uh, point of view seems a little bit like uh, when England was appeasing Germany before World War II. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure that uh, the, the folks who are doing the uh, hijackings really are only going to understand um, strong actions to the, in reaction to their actions. I think appeasement uh, via kind of uh, pay them off and let it be okay and let it go by is probably not going to work very well. And I think it's emboldened them, which I think is uh, the reason you're getting an increasing number of successful hijacks. The point I was just going to make, Will, is uh, who's going to be in charge of smucking them, though? For instance, um, they say that they cannot cover the ocean in question because the space is too big. I say that's bull. Um, let's say that this was a uh, national security concern. We were at war. We have satellites. We have radar planes. We have, you know, they can cover the, they can cover the area if they want to. But who's going to cover it and who's going to pay for it? Um, again, there are not a lot of American vessels going back and forth. Is Liberia going to cover the area? Monrovia? You know what I'm saying? These flags of Panama, these flags of convenience, they couldn't care less. I, I, well, I, I, yeah, I think ahead, that, that one of the problems is these ships are not armed at all. And, and I think that they should be armed with experienced defenders of some sort. Put security people on board instead of giving the people in the engine room rocket launchers. No, not just security people. You need really, really experienced, I'll put it this way, sharpshooters. Yeah. That's what it is. It's obviously an inter international problem, but whose problem is it? The Indians did a uh, operation a little while ago. They actually captured some pirates, and... Uh, that left them with these pirates in their in their jail system, and they didn't know really how to try them or what to do with them. They, you know, and like I said, who wants them? At the same time, the other day, they they also got a yacht with right. four people on it and killed one of the people. Yes, the French uh, commandos yeah. attacked the yacht. One of the hostages died, 
and the uh, Pirates as well. The Pirates, uh, let's face it, they're in it for the money, and they're not freelancers either. You have to think of the the clan structure and the warlords in, in uh, Somalia there. Now, let's say that they had successfully ransomed that American ship. There was a 16-year-old kid who was uh, the only surviving pirate. He's on the American Navy ship. How much of that money do you think was going to get to that kid? You know? Somebody's somebody's cashing the checks. Wait, Will, are you still there with us? Yeah, I'm still here. You guys were making some great comments, and I actually uh, am uh, on the side of uh, getting really skilled people on those boats because I think if you keep appeasing them, the problem just can't do anything but get worse because you're basically emboldening them. And because so much money is flowing around now in terms of ransoms, you're not getting local pirates doing it. You've got a heavy infrastructure. I don't know enough about it to who, know who's who's the big wigs in it, but it's definitely uh, making some serious money. And uh, you know, a thought came to me is they're they're very reluctant to use um, arms on in this kind of situation. But repeatedly, you read about local police and state police killing killing people that are much less, you know, who supposedly pose a threat, but repeatedly there, you know, I remember a woman in a cabin up north some years ago who basically had not aimed any weapons at the police, but just had one, and they shot her dead, and that happens a lot, so there doesn't seem to be a balance of uh, reasonableness about how to deal with these situations, and I'll get off the air. Thanks so much. Thanks Thank for you, calling Will. this morning, Thanks, Will. You can't always go into a hostage situation with your guns blazing, uh, you know, you're going to... Like say, innocent people are going to get killed, and sometimes patients call for. But don't we like that retribution? You we know, do. we have uh, another phone call. Already. The phone is ringing this morning. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. My name is Sally. I'm from Somerville, and I was wondering. Somerville, Mass. Maine. Okay. <laughs> Halfway between Augusta and Rockland. All right. Yep. Um, I was wondering why can't they have these boats pile up in a convoy and then have all the Navy ships of the various countries who are supposedly guarding these, this waterway to convoy these ships through. I mean, the pirates wouldn't attack a huge convoy of boats with Navy boats all around it, would they? I think it's the herding cats problem, Sally. Yeah. You know? Well, if they're coming through the Suez Canal, can't they get them to pile up at the end and herd them through? You would think so. Time is money. Um, how are the insurance companies dealing with this, I guess, is the question, because they're paying. Well, there's another another issue. It's uh, the lady's idea is not bad at all, but you have to remember that uh, when you detain a big ship today, you're talking about thousands of dollars an hour. I'm going to say an, an ordinary big container ship, uh, a delay of, of one hour is probably about eighteen to twenty thousand dollars. Well, actually, what we found, uh, and this was a summer ago when the shipping market was really quite steep, uh, and of course at the Port of Eastport we deal a lot with international shipping. The spot market, which is, you know, if you call up and say, "I need a boat today," I didn't plan it. I just need a boat. That's called the spot market. You need one on the spot. Yeah. Uh, we were finding some vessels were going as high as one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a day. Uh, in the spot market, so that was you know that was at the height, and that in the point that he brought up is a, is a very valid one that there is a lot of money at stake with these vessels, and and delaying them a day is well that's that's real money, and you know they have to worry about to whether or not they want to take the risk associated with it. Right. I, I heard on another public radio station the other day that the insurance companies don't want armed people on board the boats because it would make their insurance thing you know go up higher. So they don't they don't want armed people on the boats. It's sort of like being in an airplane. Once the bullets start flying, it's right. it's a whole different game. Well, well, they have armed guards on Brinks trucks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Some of them well, do. Sally, did you ever think about being a pirate personally? <laughs> no, Maybe I hadn't. she is. <laughs> no, I hadn't. Well, um, there's another item here from the Bangor Daily News. There's an organization called the Pirates of the Dark Rose, and they're uh, located mostly in Rockland, I guess. Uh -huh. They do uh, different kind of events. They'll do sword fights and shoot off cannons and stuff. They have a 55-foot topsail yawl, it says here, the sailing vessel Must Roos, and they are seeking members for their pirate crew. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. They're going to yeah. do an event in Damascata sometime this, uh, 
early spring or summer. Exactly. So anyway, if you'd like to, if you'd like to actually join a pirate crew, you can contact Captain Crudbeard at nine seven five six five one seven. Or at uh, Mustroos, that's uh, M-U-S-T-R-O-O-S, Mustroos, at AOL.com. The Pirates <laughs> of the Dark Rose have a website called darkrosepirates.com as well. Sh- shameless plug, if I, if I may. Go ahead, uh, Chris. Chris. <laughs> the, uh, the community of eSport uh, this year will be hosting its fourth annual uh, Pirate Festival, which is held uh, in September. And the Pirates of the Dark Rose are a very big part of that. They come up and participate in the weekend's activities. And that has been a, a raging success over its uh, first three years. And well, we're hoping that uh, with all the events that have taken place over the past few days, uh, that we still keep it in uh, in good fun. But the Esport Pirate Festival, uh, we can vouch for the Pirates of the Dark Rose because they do put on a tremendous show. So. Come on up and join us. Okay, thanks. thanks. Thank you, Sally. One uh, thing about this lady's statement is that, that it's, uh, her her idea is uh, is uh, is very very valid and would and should be considered. Absolutely, I'm sure it is being considered. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have one more call. Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Um, I thanks for waiting. Pardon me. I said thanks for waiting. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I had heard recently that part of the pirating problem had not really become a problem until corporations had dumped, uh, I guess it was oil, t- oil companies had dumped crud in the water and decimated the Somali uh, fishing industry. And this left the people with little or nothing to live on. And so then they started this pirating. And I'm wondering, you know, instead of everybody getting all aggressive, maybe looking at the root of the problem, and if that's true, you know, uh, maybe our efforts would be better spent helping them regain their fishing industry, finding some other industry that they can, you know, make money at. Um, We tend to go, you know, I mean, I realize that what they're doing is not right, but, you know, if it's true that these multi-billion dollar corporations that dumped crud in their water system I don't yeah. think anything like that is true at all. I think if there's anything like uh, illegal fishing with dynamite and stuff like that, the people have done it themselves. I think their uh, problems are, are certainly multidimensional. You've got to remember they live on a very hard piece of water over there, corner mm-hmm. of the Red Sea and the you know, Gulf of Arabia there. That is, that is some, that's not a piece of water I'd ever like to go visit. Hot, shallow, crowded. I mean, I can't think of enough. Ugh. Right. So anyway, well, I'd yeah. heard, I think part of, I had heard something on, uh, looked at something on the Internet, and I had actually heard it. Amy Goodman um, covered that and said that that was, that was sort of uh, what had it initiated this whole thing was that uh, their water had been pretty much messed up. Well, I don't doubt it. And, uh, you know, and looking again, maybe these corporations, I mean, instead of, you know, hmm. here we're seeing the corporations that are just taking buckets of money and running away, uh, there's some responsibility on their part. Well, I think that you have to look at that also. Sometimes when we hear about the, you know, quote-unquote evil corporations, we automatically assume they're all U.S.-based, U.S.-born, and, and follow uh, U.S. law. But a lot of the, you know, international shipping, especially that part of the world, are it's involved with, like, uh, it's stated here earlier, flags of convenience. Countries that may not have the same uh, moral depth as the United States. And, you know, getting that fixed, uh, you know, bringing the people that may have caused some of these problems to fix it would be very difficult. I mean, we just assume that the United States should step in and do something at times. But, you know, it's not necessarily the fact that we uh, as a country had much to do with it. Uh, I mean, I encourage the idea, but we're going to have to make sure that that is a global community response, not definitely, just the United was, States. Yeah. No, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, we're talking about the Navy going in and all these costs for the U.S. I mean, God, no. I mean, they probably are uh, other, you know, countries that have, have taken part in this, so they should definitely, I mean, I don't know, international courts or something, but... It's interesting that the U.N. hasn't stepped up and done anything about it, and yet when the U.N. is very quick to point the finger when it has 
perhaps some deep pockets to take care of it, but when it uh, can't seem to find that, they're not so quick to jump up and say that it's a, an international problem because they don't have point. an international solution. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> the pollution is a worldwide problem. I don't know if it's uh, specifically been targeted uh, at that region, but you know, I wouldn't deny that it, it is a worldwide problem with the oceans. We thank you for calling this morning. We've got one other call standing by, and then we'd like to get our uh, guest on the phone from the Port of Portland, if we can get to it without... Uh, uh, Make our way, cut our way through the pirates here. Somebody else uh, standing by on the phone, Amy? Yeah, good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Morning. I, I sort of lost track of the train of events here because I had turned my radio off. But, Who are we uh, speaking to? This is David here at Brooklyn. Yeah, morning, uh, But I'm still back with the pirates, and uh, uh, i got I to say I sort of agree with Giffy there uh, on the uh, sharpshooter issue, you know, pacifistic as I like to think I am. You know, I've read enough of uh, Patrick O'Brien, et cetera, to, uh, to know what happens to pirates. I mean, you know, that's part of the game that you, that you decide you're going to play when you become a pirate. If you get caught, you get dead. You know, there's no, it's not like a nice little thing that you can go out and play pirate, you know, for, on your tour boat. You know, pirates is, pirates is pirates. You know, pirates get, you know, they get hung on the high sea when they get caught, you know, routinely. That's what happens to them, and it doesn't take very many sharpshooters on the top of some bridge somewhere, I would think, to pretty effectively control a small boat full of them. And uh, you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to be blazing guns everywhere. It's, you know, there's the pirates, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to board the ship as they come up over the gunnel, you know, bango, they fall back over the side. You know, it seems to me, on the pirates. And uh, then I, I still had a thought about the uh, Coast Guard. Uh and the uh, fish in the dragon in the uh, the protected uh, uh, fishery areas right off the coast of Maine. Yeah. Uh, and how hard it seems to be to patrol that to keep illegal activities from going on there. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to shoot them, you know, because they ain't really pirates. But, you know, the Coast Guard or somebody, you know, could have that under a lot closer scrutiny than they do nowadays. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, if we're, if we're looking for something to do with our, with our vessels that we're going to build there at BIW, you know, there's all kind of really good things we could do so far as, you know, preserving our fish stock, you know, for future generations and making sure it was harvested wisely. Because it's a lot for the fishermen to undertake by themselves. I mean, they're busy fishing. They, they don't have time to be out there patrolling the thing. I mean, I'm sure ways can be figured out where they can patrol it, but, you know, it'd be probably better if the Coast Guard would do it. That's, uh, as I said, about finding pirates could be a matter of resource. Could I leave one more idea with you, Dave, on the way out here? Um, this one came from a book on, uh, on uh, making war and peace and terrorism and uh, was pointing out that historically um, history provides... Few successful um, instances of people being built, uh, beaten into any kind of successful submission. You know, basically, you, you can't, you can't uh, beat people down and get them to stop doing stuff. You got to make them invested yeah. in stopping I doing what they're, do what they're doing, you know. You can't just kill them all and, and make them want to stop. No. Same with terrorism, in a way. So, yeah. best of luck with that. Like I say, we yeah. could join the local pirate crew and... You know, be yeah. good pirates. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's things we could see too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Especially, especially if they're going to treat us nice. You know. Well, thank it's you for nice. calling this morning, Dave. Okay, nice. Yeah, we're about halfway through boat talk. The uh, phone is still ringing. Amy's talking to somebody. We would like to call. Uh, we would like to call Bob Lehman at the uh, Port of Portland as soon as we can here and talk to Bob about. Uh, that was our subject this morning. We have, along with uh, Captain Giffy Fallback from his winter cruise, we have. Chris Gardner, who's the director of the Port of Eastport in here this morning. And uh, we want to talk about the idea of moving stuff around by water. Water transportation policy was big in the news just recently. Uh, you couldn't have missed it. They are building the largest oil refinery in America in Brewer, Maine. Isn't that quite a statement? But it's yes. located in Texas. Will be, yeah. Yeah, and the Chambro <laughs> Corporation has taken over the old... Uh, Eastern Manufacturing Paper Mill there in Brewer on the waterfront, and they are building these uh, pipe frames, uh, steel steel frames that make up the refinery in Brewer, Maine, putting them on barges and shipping them to Texas. 
Now, these things are like um, 120 feet long, 60 feet wide, 50 feet tall. They weigh up to uh, 650 tons. And once again, they are building them in Brewer and moving them to Texas by water. Yeah, no way you could take it over the interstate, that's for sure. <laughs> it illustrates yeah. a great point, though. Sometimes when we go to invest in our port infrastructure here in uh, Maine, you know, we always hear the same question over and over again. Well, what will you ship out? You know, what does Maine make? What are we going to use? What are we going to import? Well, that illustrates the fact that um, you, there is a big world out there, and Maine can certainly play a part in it. I'm sure that nobody woke up one morning and just thought, well, we should build oil refineries in Maine and then ship them to Texas. Who could see that coming? That's right. So it, we just have it. to realize that it, in proper port investment, what it's going to do is open up opportunities. And it's only through that investment that we'll actually be able to start seeing some of those opportunities. And that uh, operation in Brewer is a prime example. Mm -hmm. Perfect point. Thank you, Chris. The other other point is that most of these things that we're dealing with now are essentially clean industry. And I think that's an important part. Mm -hmm. Chanbro, um, they did some dredging there and and created a bulkhead and a ramp where they could uh, get these things down onto barges. They are also going to make a, a commercial marina just north of the bulkhead. Now, this will not be for uh, pleasure boats. This would be for commercial shipping. It would be, uh, um, I guess the idea is patterned after the main port authority um, in Searsport. Uh, the main port authority or the city of Brewer would own the, um, the, uh, the dock itself and it would be manufa- um, I'm sorry, uh, managed by somebody, somebody else. And Peter Vigu, the president of Chambro, says uh, we'll work with anyone to enhance and improve the economy in this reason, whatever it takes. So, and who could see that coming? And it does open up possibilities. Yeah. Now, we have on the phone with us uh, Bob Lehman from Portland. Good morning, Bob. Are you there? Good morning. How are you today? Yeah, good. Sorry to make you wait, man. We got talking about pirates and stuff. <laughs> That's quite all right. Yeah, go figure how we go on about that. Um, what do you do at, at the Port of Portland, Bob? Um, I'm the marine manager. Our maritime manager. Okay. And I'm responsible basically for uh, scheduling container barges in and out, um, scheduling cruise ships in and out. And basically we run the whole operation out of my office uh, as far as from when they sign up to when they get their bill. You didn't mention oil tankers. Portland's a big oil port as well. Yeah, we don't do a whole lot with the oil tankers. They'll pull in once in a while for service or to get fuel. Um, but they pretty much stay on the other side of the port, on the South Portland side. Yeah. So I guess what we're uh, interested in asking you this morning is uh, what are your facilities like and what is coming and going through them? Um, Right now we're pretty slow, as everybody is, with the economic times. Um, We are running some, uh, some containers through with Columbia Group. And they're bringing about 80 empties in and taking 80 fallout every week. And they're basically moving pulp right now. Um, other than that, we've done some windmills. We're trying to pull some more windmill industry in. Um, there's some big projects going on throughout New England for windmill stuff. Um, the power grid nationwide is being upgraded. We've pulled some transformers through. Um, and we're looking at uh, some local business here in Maine, uh, shipping some generators out to go overseas. You have um, what you call the Inter- International Marine Terminal there. Is, would I have known that as the state pier in the old days? No. No, Inter- that's different. International Marine Terminals where the ferries used to go in and out of the old Scotia Prince or where the cat was. Oh, originally. down towards the drawbridge to South Portland. Correct. Further up the harbor, yeah. Yes. Okay. Um as you mentioned, there's different kinds of um, different kinds of um, cargos that ports handle. You were mentioning uh, some bulk uh, pulp, and you were also mentioning containers. One thing I found out uh, looking into this, which I thought was kind of interesting, in a way, you have to think of ports like airports, and and uh, they run nowadays on a hub and spoke system. So these containers that you described coming through Portland. Um, a lot of them are forwarded to Halifax, Nova Scotia, if I'm not wrong. That's correct. And then they're sorted out, uh, sort of like they do with the you know, FedEx parcels in Memphis and put them on the boats that go to Indonesia or Europe or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, you know, I guess the point being that um, 
it's all about connections and possibilities. Right. I, I mean, we're trying real hard. Uh, we're working actually with the Maine Port Authority um, to bring in as much as we can through Portland to try to stimulate our local economy and the economies around us. Um, the Port Authority actually has brought down uh, a new stacker for containers to help us move more containers quickly um, so the vessels can come in and leave on a pretty quick basis versus hanging out too long. Um, and they've been very supportive. We have a, a huge crane down here. It's a, about a 115-ton crane, so we can pretty much move anything they're going to bring in on these barges. Uh, you, you mentioned barges then, so the container ships themselves don't pull up to your facility? They do. They yep. do. So you, yep. have, you have the depth and, and the, the physical ability to ship straight to Europe, then, for, for, for example, then? We do. We, I think we, we're around 35 feet deep right at the dock. A lot of stuff that uh, goes coastwise in America, uh, uh, people don't realize how much of it does go on barges. I see in the news a sailboat just uh, ran into a barge, too, down south, and some people just got killed yesterday as well. That's too um, bad. That'll happen sometimes. Um, yeah, Bob, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about a, uh, the, the policy for the state of Maine has always been a three-port policy. Um, envisioning ports on in Portland Eastport and one in the middle in Searsport, which again is a little controversial nowadays. But um, you know, it it does, um, as I say, speak to possibilities. Um, what are you guys aiming at for the future? You say things are a little slow in Portland at the present time. You got a plan to try to ramp that up? Well, right now, as far as freight goes, we're working with the Port Authority on a lease, um, and they would actually be running the port. Um, and hopefully that will happen before July 1. Um, so once that happens, they, they have a lot more knowledge of what's going up and down the coast and what we can try to pull in here for, for freight, and do that you, should boost things up. Do you know in general what's even in these containers? Well, right now we're just shipping pulp, but in the past, I mean, it's been a, a vast, you know, group of things that come through, you know, right down to liquors and, you know, bulk liquor and, and items like that. Um, but I, I don't personally know. When I started working at the port, it was pretty much on the down spiral. Well, we have a phone call. Let's go to that and see if the person who wants to address this problem, too. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, I'm calling in response to what you were saying about pirates earlier. Um, I guess why not? Oh, we're, are we on the pretty, air? Yeah, yeah, I believe yeah. we are. Oh, oh, yeah. Let I'm me check this, too. Are, are you still there, Bob? Yes, I am. Yeah, I didn't know if you were on uh, the right phone line or not. Okay. But anyway, a uh, question about pirates. Why not? Well, not a question so much. My name is S.P. Ziegler, and, and I'm in the Merchant Marine. I'm a unlimited master. And I was sailing as Chief Madoff in 2001 in August, and our vessel was attacked uh, off of Somalia, <coughs> about 12 miles in. And... You know, I just was hearing some comments. I only got the, the end of it. About, we used passive resistance. We were attacked. We were shot at, grenades, the whole thing, and we just kept going. We were very, very lucky. Uh, we were trained in shutting down the ship. There's a couple points, and I think one, I just heard the end of it about the cost. You know, the only way you're going to do this is convoy. But the, the irony in all this for me is that we're only talking about it because a U.S. vessel, flag vessel, was attacked. Exactly. And it's an MSC ship, and it should have been an... They, were, they knew. When we were attacked, we contacted the Navy, U.S. Navy, initially. Second mate on, on watch contacted them, and they said, we had no vessels, we're not going to do anything. Uh, they do have planes, but that's beside the point. But we also contacted the French Navy, and the French have a, uh, in Djibouti, they have a French Foreign Legion contingency there, and they were coming to help us. That was also the time uh, that everybody hated the French. This was um, August 31st, so it was right before September 11th. So, you know, uh, we then went into Djibouti afterwards. As I say, we were very lucky, but uh, piracy has gone on, and it's been just a quiet sort of thing that everybody accepts because of globalization. Everybody moves their gear. You know, nobody really wants to talk about it, and it's all done by third-world uh, 
crews and, and vessels. And if they get hurt, I mean, Mayaka Straits are just horrendous. Oh, the Indonesia area has more piracy, I believe, right. than the Somali area. Yeah. And, you know, there's a piracy report put out weekly. You guys maybe should check it. And it's yep. in South America. It's everywhere. And I don't like pirates, by the way, because they're carjackers with boats, okay? They're Probably not, not nice people. This isn't the 17th century, and there's no romanticism about it. They used to kill the senior officers, which made us senior officers less than happy. And, uh, you know, essentially now that it's a business, and it's off of Somalia, and the fishermen were doing it, because, yes, the fishing was down, and B, it was anarchy in Somalia, and they weren't getting paid. So they had mother boats, and they would drop off their fast boats and, and attack the vessels. Um, you know, I'm sure that international corporations are, have done some nasty things, but I don't think that they're to blame on this. You know, this shouldn't be used as a method for our agendas. Um, my feeling is that if this is really bad, the company's got to pony up. If the insurance companies really hit the shipping companies for what it costs, see, they haven't done that, then they would have to do convoys and they'd have to pay up and, you know, waste a day or two, which shipping companies don't want to do. SP, your, your story sounded similar to the people on the news from the uh, Maersk ship, the Alabama there. They said they were under attack for a week, oh, we, we, and nobody came to help them. The cavalry was not <laughs> on the way. Well, the whole time we were in the Gulf of Aden for a month, I worked for uh, National Science Foundation, and you're watching the ships, the boats by radar, and it's not just Somalia, you know, it's... it's uh, they were coming out of Yemen, and you just watched. And you do, tried to stay in the center of the uh, Gulf of Aden. And, and, you know, the weapons weren't that good at that time. Uh, they, they're getting better. There's more money. And, I, you know, the more money that goes into the piracy, the better. And, and, and it's, you know, what amazes me is that that was a con- car- cargo ship, a container vessel, and they're damn fast. And these guys got on there. You ever see what it takes to get on one of those? Oh, yeah. That takes, yeah. you know, those guys, you got to give them credit. <laughs> climbing a cliff. Doing, doing what they think they have to do. We, we um, debated the issue about having uh, armed crew on board. You know, and the thing about armed crew, we did not have armed crew. We, we all went through a training previous to that, uh, is that often armed crew can be their own worst enemy. Yeah. We had a, uh, a fundamental Christian who went out on... We cleared the decks, and I had to go out after him because he was going to convert them, feeling that he could, <laughs> by converting them to Christianity, they would give up their piracy. We had one fellow run out with a fire extinguisher, and we had to go get him. So, you know, arming the crew isn't the issue. Maybe carrying arm, armed guards would be trained. Look at what we have in the way of Iraq with private armies. Well, that's been a mixed blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, I do agree that the sharpshooters that killed the captain, I mean, killed the uh, pirates, and that was probably, you know, the, their last resort. Yeah. You know, I think the negotiations broke down. I would be happy sitting in that boat if they killed the pirates around me, to be honest. Yes, that couldn't have been a good time. Uh, SP, we're very glad to talk to you this morning. I wish we had more time. Well, I just, I also wish that people were more aware of what's going on in the world and not yep. just, just, you know, they get a knee-jerk reaction when it's an American that's hurt. Yeah, you know? that's the truth. Okay, well, uh, I just wanted to, um, I was out in the yard, and a friend came by and said, hey, they're talking about pirates. And I said, well, by God, I'm... <laughs> well, thank you, because it's nice to hear from somebody that knows what they're talking about. There well, I go. don't know about that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever said that I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Glad to talk to you this morning. S.P. Okay. Ziegler, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you so okay. much. Take care. Now, Bob Lehman, you still standing by on the phone there? Yes, I am. Yeah, see how it goes around boat talk, like I say. <laughs> no, we, don't, we, don't, we don't always drive the uh, ship in a straight, straight line. Well, we thank you for uh, talking to us this morning. We're going to talk to uh, Chris Gardner from Eastport for a little bit now. And, um, anything we left out? Well, i got one question for you, yeah. Bob. This yeah. is Alan. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe uh, Maine is the closest state to Europe. Um, kind of looking down the down the road in the future, hoping the economy comes back up. Um, do you see any real significant increase as Maine as being a, an access point for uh, to and from Europe shipping? I I'm not really prepared to answer that. I mean, I I'm, I'm kind of new at this, but I would hope we are. 
Um, we're preparing. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a lot of work to the IMT facility and, and making it so it can handle large quantities of freight. So we're gearing up and hoping for those possibilities. Great. Well, in a way, we're competing with uh, Halifax and St. John, New Brunswick, which are much better infrastructure ports, too, and a little closer to Europe. Well, that's, that's absolutely right. You know, a lot of times we look to find our competition here in Maine, and we think that we're competing amongst each other, which really is not the case. You know, Halifax and St. John certainly are positioned to be our major competitors. But uh, the point that Alan brought up is, uh, is, is a very good one in the fact that we are positioned uh, to be in a place where we might be able to make a difference. Uh, recently, over the past few years, Senator Snow and uh, then Senator Clinton, Hillary Clinton, uh, now our Secretary of State, I believe were the uh, architects behind uh, what has been called now the Can-Am study. And what the Can-Am study was uh, intended to do is to look to see what kind of opportunities lie uh, in Maine, in, in the Northeast, but Maine in general, of course, from Senator Snow's uh, perspective, to see about plugging in to uh, shipping opportunities. Because there are some that believe, and there's certainly a lot of debate, that you know, the ports of Philadelphia and Boston and, and your major ports now are going to be facing congestion issues as, as shipping uh, increases as we continue to bring more into the U.S. And as such, that uh, proper investment and connectivity in Maine utilize these ports, which are, by all intents and purposes, underutilized, uh, may be able to find ourselves in a very good position to help alleviate some of that congestion. But it's going to come with uh, proper infrastructure investment, and uh, that's something we have to have an eye towards. But there is an opportunity, but we just have to be smart in how we address it. Well, let's talk about uh, Eastport. You talk about, um, uh, Bob was talking about, what, uh, 40 feet of water alongside it at the tide. And, uh, you know, you just smile quietly about that because you've got, uh, you've got deep, deep water there in Eastport. You have, from a marine point of view, you have an excellent location. Absolutely. We are from the... a land point of view, you're in Eastport, though. Well, I think that that... Uh, offers a little bit of difficulty in the, in the short term, but again, I think proper planning and, and investment, uh, you know, a, a concerted approach will solve those issues. Uh, because quite honestly, uh, you know, I, I applaud what the state has been trying to do in investing in its state infrastructure and the amount of uh, resources they put into Sears Island. You know, certainly, you know, a whole show could be devoted to what's going on in Sears Island. But a lot of that has been in trying to invest and bring deep water to a railhead which was, is costly. <laughs> but the port of Eastport, we are the deepest natural seaport, I believe, in the U.S., and we have 62 feet of uh, water at, uh, at mean low tide. And we have over 100-foot approach depths that are all natural, and no environmental impact, no dredging, nothing of that nature. And, you know, the investment that we need is to find a way to bring rail to the deep water, which some would argue is cheaper than trying to bring deep water to rail. So it's an interesting point, but again, once you get to Eastport, you're at the end of a long, bad road with no railroad and a tiny little uh, airstrip. Well, there you go. And I think that really kind of begs the biggest issue that we have going right now. And I'm pleased to say that um, there is a lot of uh, talk and chatter around rail right now in returning to the port. Uh, there is that possibility out there. There are some infrastructure and stimulus funds that are available to make some real investments in this part of the state. But uh, I think that is really our biggest push right now because that is the only missing component uh, is that rail connection. Once you connect us, I think we're in a very, very good position. And uh, the funny thing is is that the Port of Eastport and rail have never existed at the same time in Washington County, ever. You know, you'll hear the argument if there was so much business for rail, it wouldn't have left in the first place back in the 80s. Well, realistically, it, we don't know what the business would have been because as the rail was already on its way out the door, the Port of Eastport was just getting started on its way up. So I think if you just look at what happens between port and rail in, in any other circumstance, in any other uh, place in the U.S., that's a winning combination. And having a port like Eastport sitting there, uh, which is a tremendous facility, and the only part that it's missing is rail, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at it, especially in a county that the economy has certainly been struggling over the years and we've tried many things to fix it. Well, perhaps we need to start investing in our infrastructure and invest in what's already paying us dividends. No question about it. Now, the other thing it's, it's important to put a highlight on is that rail, when you come to land transport, rail is the most efficient and most cheapest. Environmentally friendly, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, there already is a rail line in Searsport there. Fuel efficient because you only got one set of locomotives pulling a, 
maybe 125 freight cars loaded with containers, and it's, uh, it's a very efficient way to transport product over land. Absolutely. The most efficient way to transport. So let's think if we're backpacking. You can't take a lot of stuff on your camping trip. you got to hoist it onto your shoulders. If you can drag it, you can take a little bit more. If you can get wheels under it, you're better off. If you can float it, take everything. That's right. You know? Um, that's the way to move stuff around efficiently. much better than trucking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It isn't pounding the roads to pieces. Yeah. But a lot of things you'll hear, too, is some people will think that in in investing in this type of infrastructure, you're somehow attacking the trucking lobby. Well, that that could be no further from the truth because it's just going to be different type of hauls. But if you start moving commerce via rail and via ship, uh, there is certainly going to be a needed and necessary component for, uh, you know, short-line trucking. There's absolutely going to be that need because, you know, these rail lines don't go to everywhere they need to go. And they certainly only go to collector points and distribution points. Does anybody think the price of fuel isn't going to skyrocket again sometime soon? Definitely. I had another very interesting experience this winter uh, going up the Amazon, which is which is everything Everything there is water transportation. Everything. There's no trucks. Everything moves by boat. Everything from 40 feet to two or 300 feet. Oh. Well, Mostly 70-foot combination uh, passenger boats. There's no, fa- no fancy facilities. The people just pile on board, and the freight's on board, and we go. And... Uh, We'll have to get more of you. I didn't realize you went to the Amazon gift. We'll have to get more of that out of you later. The uh, Maine Port Authority has commissioned a study, uh, Newport Strategy for the State of Maine. It points out that uh, they see large market-driven opportunity to develop develop new container terminal at Searsport. And uh, they also say here that the vast majority of funding required for the infrastructure we're talking about would come directly from a port developer and only a small percentage from the state itself, which I find kind of interesting. It's, it's, that's a very interesting piece, and it's one of the things that uh, at Eastport we're very proud of is the fact that we are, although we certainly work very closely with the main port authority, uh, we are an in, uh, independent standalone authority, uh, uh, and that being the case, uh, you know, it's really up to us to try to figure a way to take care of the majority of our port development. And we have partnered with uh, Federal Marine Terminals, which is a multinational company. They're based out of Montreal, but they certainly are big. Uh, FedNav is their parent organization, and they're big in global shipping. And that's a winning combination. You know, Federal Marine has been a tremendous part of our infrastructure investment and in funding it. Uh, as much as the state is looking to find other type developers that will do that very thing, I applaud them. I think that's the right thing to do because that model has already proven to be a tremendous success. For 30 years, we've had that agreement, that working relationship, and Federal Marine has been a big part at making it happen for us. We uh, are running out of time on Boat Talk this morning. Unfortunately, boy, it goes so fast, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, an embarrassment of riches. But we also have to mention that um, – your port's been growing for the last few years. Last year, 30 ships came, but they were all basically involved with uh, hauling pulp for Domtar, which is uh, closing the second part of their mill. They've already closed the paper mill part. Now they're closing the pulp mill part. Uh, that pulp comes, comes from New Brunswick as well, I understand, a lot of that pulp does. So you, you've just lost your main str- uh, shipper. Well, right now we hope that the Domtar situation is, is uh, only temporary. They are not immune to uh, a lot of the same market conditions that we've seen globally, worldwide, of course. And that has been, I think, the biggest depressor in that market. Uh, but we're hopeful that Domtar can find its uh, find the market back, and I think that's a very strong mill. I think it has a lot of things to offer. It's got a great workforce. It's energy neutral, produces its own energy by a hydro dam. So it has got a lot of things going for it, but when the market has to come back. But in the interim, you know, we're diversifying. The windmill market that Bob spoke of, we're, we're very, very active in that. Washington County has the largest wind farm in all of New England. We, happen, we have that at uh, Stetson Mountain Project, and we're we're going to keep going. We think we can we can weather the storm. Water turbines coming to Eastport. I hope. Uh, Absolutely. Well. That's Absolutely. A energy. That's a big plus. And it's going to happen in the Gulf Stream. A lot's the, going on in Washington yeah, County. Uh, yeah. The University of Florida just got a big grant to study in water generation. Well, Chris Gardner, thanks for coming down from Eastport Absolutely. this morning. We thank Bob Lehman, uh, everybody on whatever pirate crew you were on today. Uh, <laughs> Giffy Fall, so glad to have you back. Can't wait to hear more about the Amazon trip and 
you got to stay tuned for the rest of the WERU trip today uh, on the wing with Jim Bahoosh is coming up next. Botox the second Tuesday every month. We'll be back next month. Don't forget the semi-annual dinner cruise uh, at the end of June. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com. The Peace and Justice Center of Eastern Maine 